0: Hello and welcome to a brand new ArsBlog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. I'm very well. I'm super well. I'm as well as well can be because, ladies and gentlemen, something incredible happened in my life. Just want to tell you about it before we get on with the show. Something amazing, something unprecedented, something that I just, I just couldn't get my head around. I couldn't imagine it ever happening. Arsenal won a game of football. Okay, come on, be honest. All of us, we're we're desperate for our team to win. We want Arsenal to do well and to succeed and to win football matches. But hands up, how many of you thought we were going to go to Milan and win 2-0? Keep a clean sheet in the San Siro. How many? Look, you over there, just put your hand down. You didn't believe that for one second. You're just trying to look smart after the fact. Football is so weird, isn't it? It is just the strangest thing because... I was not confident going into this game because we'd been so poor. I was hopeful. You know what I hoped? I hoped that because of the fact the Europa League was the thing that we've got left this season, that somehow there would be a response from these players, that we would see something that was much more approaching what we know they're capable of. You know, for all the frustration, for all the anger that we have about the way they've been playing or the way they've been managed and everything else, we know that these are players who are capable of a lot better than we've seen over the last couple of weeks. So my hope was, whatever the result, that we would see something more from these Arsenal players, both in terms of the tangibles and the intangibles. What I mean is uh, the intangibles like uh, desire and passion is not the right one, but certainly energy and commitment on the pitch because we can read those. Even if we can't necessarily measure them, we can read them to a certain extent, but also the ability to play some football, the ability to stay organized. Defensively in particular, uh, if we could see something of that in this game, I would have been encouraged. That's what I was hoping for. And that, thankfully, is what we got. And to come away after 90 minutes with a clean sheet and two goals, two first half goals, one from Mikitari and one from Aaron Ramsey, which puts us in a great position for the second leg next week. Uh, You know, it was better than I hoped. It was really better than I thought it was going to go. And it's nice, isn't it? doesn't it feel good that we don't have to talk about why were we so bad? Why were we so tactically inept? Why wasn't the, the level of commitment from the players there? Why did they look like they were going through the motions? We don't have to do that today. We don't have to do that. We don't have to think about it. It doesn't mean that all our problems are solved or anything like it, but just for the first time in a while, it's nice to enjoy an Arsenal performance and an Arsenal result. And if you can't be up for a 2 nil win away from home against AC Milan then I don't know what to say to you. I really enjoyed it. I know they still had their moments. They had some uh, moments of danger in the game. Milan had, and they could have perhaps scored a goal in the second half. Uh, The guy blasted over the bar, and there was a moment in the first half, wasn't there, Ospina came for a cross and missed it. The guy headed wide. But look, we could have scored more as well. Well, I think Mkhitaryan should have scored at least one more goal. Uh, There was the chance he had early on, which he hit in the side netting and uh, scored a good goal, got a bit of a deflection, but the one that hit the bar, uh, you know, we had our moments. We, We really looked a bit more like ourselves. We looked a bit more like Arsenal, and that's uh, that's pleasing and it's encouraging, and hopefully we can uh, we can kick on from here. But because of the uh, the Thursday night thing, the fact we're not kicking off until six o'clock, meaning I've got to do work and then kick off the podcast a bit later. I'm not going to do too much waffling. I'm just going to get on with the show. And joining me to discuss what is practically a historic event at this point, Arsenal winning a game, Paolo Bandini. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> An Arsenal win away from home, no less. An Arsenal win away from home uh, in the San Siro, no less, as well. It's not a, it's not a bad way to to break your duck. I know we beat Ostersunds away from home uh, recently, but th- this is a this is a slightly different beast. How uh, confident or not were you going into this one, Paolo? Uh,
1: not at all, really. <laughs> I think uh, you look at the fact that Milan have certainly been playing better. Uh, at the start of this year, I, ha- I had some questions about whether Milan were were a co- you know a complete team ready to win this sort of game. But they were unbeaten in 13 games. They hadn't conceded in uh, something like 10 hours. They were um, they were playing well, and and Arsenal weren't. Let's be honest about yeah. it. Uh, For was it four consecutive defeats against a team that's 13 games unbeaten? No, it's it's hard to feel it's hard to feel confident at that point. Um, so I was I was pretty surprised by how the first half went.
0: I'm not going to you know put this down to a bad Milan performance, but Uh, they certainly didn't look like a team that had been on such a good run. And and conversely, Arsenal didn't look like a team that had been on such a bad run. There was quite a bit of um, to and fro in the opening stages of the game in particular. You know, Arsenal started relatively slowly and there were some corners uh, for Milan to to put a bit of pressure on. But um, I thought they might dominate us a bit more than they did early on. And Arsenal at least came out and looked to play
1: no it was interesting because before the game you had both managers sort of basically uh saying no no he's he's the one you should be talking to because wenger said well i don't think i can be offering any advice advice to gattuso as a young manager given that his team's winning and mine's not um and gattuso uh, described himself as un porcino, which is a, a word which is used for the sort of youngest age categories of, of football in, in in italy it literally means like a little chick but it's, it's used for the the kids games basically saying mm. in, in managerial team in terms that's what he was a a little chick and I think actually that is kind of what what came to bear in this game I think that Wenger for all that he hasn't got right recently he understands um, the tactical nuance of a game like this a lot better than Gattuso does I think Gattuso lined Milan up, I mean, he didn't do anything particularly different to what he's been doing in his recent league games, but I think there was a very naive approach in, in the way they thought they were going to get at Arsenal. I think they'd made a, a fairly logical uh, step in, in thinking that Chambers and Kolasinac, these are your two weak links in the side, these are the places you need to get at Arsenal. But I think he really thought that he was going to be able to set the tone and, and get pressure on them early with Hakan Chalanoglu and Sus- Suso on the flanks. And as a result, you saw both those players very high up the pitch You have two relatively, well, I mean, Calabria is 21 years old. Rodriguez is a little bit older at 25, but still two fairly inexperienced fullbacks and and fullbacks who themselves are uh, often keen to get up the pitch, uh, left very exposed, um, getting very little support as well from the midfield. Three, Bonaventura and Kessier really didn't drift out to help them. And and Arsenal just absolutely took advantage of that. I think that was... uh, Exactly where the, the the game was won for me. I, there was obviously other things that went on, and especially in the second half, just in terms of managing the game. But mm. what Arsenal did in the first half was was see those gaps, see where Milan were, were over committing and, and played those spaces superbly. I mean, just got in behind those two fullbacks,
0: particularly down the the left hand side, Arsenal's left hand side, Milan's right hand side. We had a lot of joy. And Kolasinac is a guy who hasn't really been playing particularly well in recent weeks and months, but he had a very good performance tonight. I thought very strong. He He was composed, he was good on the ball, created some danger. Final ball, I think, could have been a bit better at times, but there was real success for Arsenal from an attacking point of view. It was very pleasing to see that some of the combination play that's been so um, missing from what we've done in recent weeks uh, seemed to return.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first goal in particular was such a lovely ball from Ozil. Yeah. So well taken from, from Mickey. And I think that's exactly uh, what he was doing a lot, I guess, in this competition last season for Manchester United. So nice to see him doing it for us in this competition. Um, yeah, it was it was really, it felt very easy for Arsenal in that first half. It felt like all those uh, those passes were coming off. The space was there and, and, and they were exploiting it, which again is that little bit of experience of players like Ozil and Mkhitaryan knowing that... When that space is there, knowing how to exploit it, and I think uh, the big difference there between the sort of way other teams treat Arsenal in the Premier League compared to how Milan treated them, I think in in the Premier League they haven't been allowed that sort of time on the ball and the space to to find those gaps, whereas Milan were were just far too gentle in in sitting off a player like Özil and then far too naive in in the space that they allowed to, they allowed players including
0: Mkhitaryan to get in behind. Mkhitaryan could have scored a couple, uh, hit the bar, of course. He probably should have scored there and he probably should have scored or at least got a shot on target earlier on, which hit the side inning. But I mean, do you think in some ways uh, Milan were a little bit lulled into a false sense of security by how poor Arsenal have been in recent times? Because if you watch them against Brighton, if you watch them against Ostersunds, if you watch them in the away games against Swansea, against Bournemouth, there just didn't seem to be anywhere, um, anything Approaching the kind of bite or attacking incision that people normally associate with Arsenal. So when Milan went into this game, perhaps planning what they're going to do and having watched Arsenal, I'm sure, and having, having studied some of the games, they might have perhaps um, underestimated what we were capable of because basically we haven't seen it for so long.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's definitely uh, plausible to me. And I think that um, especially when, again, you're talking about it's quite a young Milan team. I are so used to the great Milan teams were often were often some of the oldest teams competing in the Champions League. Uh, back in their heyday, they went to Champions League finals with teams with an average age of over 30. And here you had four players who were 21 and under. And I think that it was interesting to me, just the body language of Donnarumma after that first goal went in. He kind of had this, this face on like, oh, I won't say what I was going to say, but yeah, oh, come on. I'm not going to concede a goal to this lot this early. And it yeah. just looked like he, he almost really like was stung by it, like insulted by it. What are we doing? Letting this happen. And I think that was, there was a little bit of entitlement about them that maybe they, they just thought that this was going to be a game, a big game and a game that they could win and a game that was going to sort of be a, another step in their development. And it, it completely went the yeah. other way. I think there was definitely a, a, a naivety about me. And I, I, I suppose I've, I feel, as I'm saying that, that maybe I've done a bit too much talking up the the naivety and the... Overconfidence of Milan, and maybe not enough praise for Arsenal because I think, look, it was it was a, a very good performance, yeah. uh, nonetheless, and it doesn't just sort of, it's not just because Milan were bad, Arsenal were good tonight.
0: No, I no, I'm absolutely taking nothing away from that, and I think Arsenal were good tonight. Uh, I think it's it's kind of worth exploring though because you talked about Catuso as a as a novice manager. He is still a very young manager and new at the game and. Uh, perhaps as part of his learning curve to realize that despite the fact your team has been on a 13-game unbeaten run that it, it can change very quickly if you get a bit comfortable there on the other side of that. How do we how do we analyze what we got from Arsenal tonight compared to what we've seen from Arsenal in recent weeks where everything has been so pedestrian, it's been so labored, the players have looked like they're going through the motions. Arsene Wenger... Uh, got more out of his team tonight. And there wasn't much that he did differently in terms of the team selection because you look at the squad and you think, well, how can he change it? In any significant way, with no Obama Yang for Europa League, Lacazette is injured. Um, we made so many changes from our uh, attacking uh, options in in January with Giroud gone, Sanchez gone, Walcott gone. There isn't the same scope for uh, rotating his squad. So, what was so different about tonight? Do you think it could have been just the occasion that? Not only just the weight of criticism and the need to start performing again, but we also have a group of players who realize that they're 13 points behind fourth place. They're not going to get into the Champions League via the Premier League unless something absolutely miraculous happens. And and I can't see that. I don't think anybody can really see that. But the Europa League provides them with a chance for silverware. And we've often seen it, haven't we, where a team that is in the doldrums domestically or in the league can get themselves up and focus on a cup competition because it, it is the thing that um, can provide them with something tangible at the end of the season.
1: Um, I, I think exactly that. I think there was definitely a there was a sense of urgency um, tonight, which I think has definitely been missing in the last couple of Premier League games. Uh, it's kind of harder to to look at what happened in, in the Carabao Cup final and, and say, hey, that was a lack of urgency. I think mm. uh, you, you, you can't be in a cup final and not realise that it's an important game that you need to win. Um, but I think certainly... There was maybe, a, to me, a little bit of a feeling in that home game against City of, of defeatism from the outset, like this was a game that, that Arsenal didn't believe they could win because of the hammering they'd just taken from City, and maybe didn't feel like it mattered anymore if they could win these games, because what's it worth in in the league? It's not going to get them up to the top four at this point, and it's... Uh, yeah, frankly, they can, at uh, the rate things are going, afford to continue to lose a lot of games and still not necessarily yeah. drop out of the Europa League places. So there isn't an, an awful lot else left to play for. And it did feel like tonight, um, from the beginning, this game had just a, a lot more edge to it, um, a lot more edge to it than certainly um, in some performances lately. I suppose when you looked at the, at the second half of the Brighton game, I, I think maybe some of that came back and maybe there was just a, a bit of a pride reaction in, in the second half of that game as well. But it did feel like. I don't know, it's it's always hard to sort of separate the, the fan perspective and the player perspective on these things, but it did feel like a bit of a make or break night for Arsenal. And I think there was some reaction from players who, you know, it, again, you can sort of speculate about what the reasons for it are. Is it is it about professional pride and just well we haven't played well enough in in recent games is it about actually the individual respect and 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 affection and and feeling of not wanting to let down the manager who has been there for so long even next year which the champions league and we know there's the only way to do it Uh, or is it just the simple fact of, of of being at san Siro? and i think that that's you know not to be underestimated either I think you had this sort of perfect storm to a certain extent in that you got the occasion you got the sense of being at one of the great European uh, venues in front of a crowd of more than 70,000 people of this being an epic European night and yet at the same time Arsenal didn't really have to contend with an epic European opponent uh, certainly on the night in terms of what Milan were were able to produce from their performance so it, it was kind of a perfect storm in that regard but I definitely. Uh, don't think anyone at the club can be unaware at this point that this is that this is all that's left that this is the only way to make something of this season and to make it into a uh, a positive season and look not just that there's a chance of doing it but that Arsenal really still at this point should be looking at this and thinking we are one of the favourites in this tournament I and mean, Dortmund you would look at as one of the other teams who are supposed to be front runners they lost at home to Salzburg tonight so if they go out then that's one less of the big teams who are left in this competition and Napoli have already gone out uh, Lazio at the time I'm talking to you are drawing one all at home to give. so again another big team is not especially doing well Atletico Madrid are clearly the other team in, in, mm. in the competition who you look at and think right that's the team who are, are to beat but there aren't many teams in this competition that Arsenal should be looking at and feeling inferior to so it, it has to it has to mean a lot it has to be the thing that they're clinging to so uh, you know I, I, I guess if it's, it's that sort of thing of not wanting to turn it into a cliche, but yeah, to me it looked like a, a performance of a team that uh, that knew this is this is what was left to them.
0: Yeah, and I think as well we've got to look at it from the point of view of eh, we can get quite granular and, and analyze results and performances to the nth degree, but I think the players will come away uh, tonight from that game and go home and think, we went to Milan and we won two nil mm. and we kept a clean sheet. And that is perhaps just the tonic that they need after such a bad period. Um, I do wonder sometimes if we as fans, when things are going badly, we find it very hard to look beyond that, that it becomes the be all and end all. And I'm not saying that what's gone on in recent weeks has been in a- in any way... Um, over the top. I don't think the reaction has been hugely over the top because it's been, it has been really, really bad. But we can lose sight, perhaps, of the fact that it quite often doesn't take much to turn things around again. That it can be just one game that can reinstall or reinvigorate a team and, and its uh, its belief in itself. And you could see elements of that coming back tonight. For example, I thought uh, Granit Xhaka, who's a guy who's been uh, certainly in the firing line this season for. Uh, for his performances I thought he was absolutely excellent I thought he passed the ball very well defensively switched on throughout and and when you go to somewhere like Milan you want the guy, perhaps your deepest lying midfielder, to be really really secure and he was I think he made more passes than, than any other Arsenal player, he passed it with a 95% pa- uh, completion rate um, and it's on those kind of things that, that uh, victories like that are built
1: Yeah, I mean I, I think he was Probably the player who just touched the ball the most in the Arsenal midfield. I think he was certainly the player who felt like he was on the ball the most for Arsenal. And uh, look, what you were what you were talking about there in, in terms of, of, of the, the, the feel good factor. It's a thing which I, I feel like I've been talking about a lot um, recently that people still uh, sort of refuse to, to 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 see that football players are. Um, as much as we want them to be uh, as professionals, constantly committed and constantly uh, playing at their absolute highest for the simple reason that they're remunerated in an absolutely extraordinary way, they are still, in the end, uh, human beings and subject to the same sort of emotional uh, ups and downs that, that everyone else is in their job. Mm. When you do something professionally, you do it full-time, it is a job no matter how much money you're, you're making for it. And I think that... That's the thing about again going somewhere like like San Siro. It's it's that thing of in your day job you don't do this every week. You don't go. You you do go to you know obviously you don't literally go to Brighton every week, but you go to places like Brighton most weeks. You know you're always traveling around England and playing in stadiums that are sort of familiar, playing against teams that play in ways that are sort of familiar. When you go somewhere like 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 Milan, it's an opportunity to break out of a rhythm. It's an opportunity to take yourself out of that. Uh, grind i guess and and be reminded of wait this is really fun this is going to play football somewhere that's one of the places that maybe when i was a kid i would have looked at and thought wow a, a, a dream to play there someday and i think that um just enthusiasm is is underestimated sometimes in football i think when footballers are having fun it becomes a game again it becomes the thing which you always wanted to do and that you you just enjoy and that is something that's been desperately missing I think at Arsenal lately that sense of players going out and enjoying themselves I think people have been stepping onto the pitch weighed down by the fact that they're not playing up to their level I think they've been going onto the pitch probably weighed down by everything that's happening uh, off the pitch from the constant speculation about the manager which look you I think you know my feelings on this by now and and it's been for a little while the thought of yes the club needs to move on and, and how to do it in an elegant way and I think that sense of of stasis around the, the the club and 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 the constant endless talk about the manager of course it affects the players so this is a, an opportunity to break that rhythm I guess an opportunity to be uh in in a just a different mindset for a few days and of course you now really hope that they can carry that back and, and make that the the rhythm of the rest of the season instead of what it has been up to now
0: yeah I mean look there's two home games coming up now we've got Watford on Sunday uh I think there's probably an element of uh revenge required against Watford you remember and when we played them earlier in the season I think it was Troy Deeney who came out afterwards and and sort of spouted I can't remember what it was he said exactly but it was questioning the character of the Arsenal players because he won a header when he came on and uh, ultimately he was able to make that kind of uh, assessment of things because Arsenal capitulated in that game and lost a, a, a winning position and then you have another game against AC Milan where uh, it feels almost as if the fans need something like this as well don't they that oh yeah you know the the, <laughs> the Manchester City game uh the, the cold the snow the weather uh, and we look at that as an excuse for for a half empty emirates stadium but it feels to me like uh, a big night against AC Milan going into the game with two away goals and a clean sheet from the first leg. They're going to have to come and have a go, which might just very well suit Arsenal and the players that we've got. And if we can win, whether it's a one nil or two nil against AC Milan uh, next week, it, it could help spark a revival, not just in terms of what it does for the players, but also for the fans and give them really something to believe in. Because if we beat Milan next week, you're in the quarterfinals and you're five games away from a trophy. And Arsenal, in the last number of years, have had a very good record in cup competitions and have experience in cup competitions, which I think is undervalued at times. That you know, there's there's a, an up and a down of being a cup side. Uh, you know, it speaks to perhaps a weakness somewhere else, but it's a strength in these competitions, and, and that could be a good thing going forward.
1: Right, and I mean, look from from fan perspective. I mean. I, I, I don't need to tell you this because... because you understand it as, as as well as I do. But, you know, last year, the cup final win over Chelsea was literally one of my favourite days of all of 2017. I mean, mm. that was a, a just a tremendous... I don't mean that just in a footballing sense. I just mean when I think about 2017 as a year, what days stick out as great days. What a tremendous day. It was a wonderful day. So, of course, as a fan, the cup competition, the opportunity to, to make something fun out of this season again. Again, it's that word fun for me. It's that word that I think has been so desperately missing from so much of the Arsenal experience. And I'd say that for players or fans in the last sort of, I was going to say 12 months, but maybe it's more than 12 months. There's been so much time spent in this infuriating stasis, this infuriating sense of uh, a club that is not progressing, that is sort of gradually sliding back and doing so in the most, Predictable way possible, always playing the same games and, and getting the same sorts of letdowns, uh, the same sorts of mistakes that that cost them and stop them from 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 moving forwards as a club. The thing that gives you an escape from that is the cup competition. The only escape for that for Arsenal has been cup competitions, but it has been a pretty good regular escape. Now, the Europa League is is something new, which almost makes it more fun. Um, obviously, uh, any Arsenal fan would, would prefer that, that, that we were doing this in the Champions League rather than the Europa League. But again, just that sense of difference, that sense of doing something completely outside what you are used to doing is is. I don't know. It generates enthusiasm. It makes, it makes you want to go to games rather than, let's be perfectly blunt about it, how a lot of fans felt about the the home league aiming against Man City where, sure, it was incredibly cold, but I think a lot of people just couldn't really summon the enthusiasm even to get down to the game after the way the team had been playing.
0: Mm. Do we have, I mean, his, his uh, tenure as Milan manager has been very short, so do we have any idea how Gattuso will react to this? Is this the first real setback he's had uh, during his time there, because he's come in obviously had a very positive influence. He only took over in November, and if he's 13 games unbeaten, there can't be much experience of a setback or of a, a defeat, particularly in a game where I, where I guess they were, I won't say banking on winning, but they would have been very confident of taking a lead into the into the second leg.
1: Uh, they did have some setbacks right at the beginning. He didn't actually get off to a, an immediately successful start. They were thumped three nil by Verona in December. So I actually. The end of the the end of 2017 for Milan, even after Coutts had taken charge, was was pretty grim. Um, but this will obviously not sit well. I mean, he's a he's a blood and thunder type of manager, and I'm I, I you know I was gonna say I would expect some of that from him, but actually I don't know if if, if I would because he's also got a very good rapport with that team he's got a a real bond that he's developed in in a short space of time with the young players in that team and i can half imagine actually his response to something as emphatic as this being a recognition that there's no point hammering the players and you're better off to to put an arm around them and say hey it's okay guys we can we can still uh take steps forward from here but i think the 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 greater issue for for Milan in terms of this tie is i just don't necessarily believe we've yet seen even in this 13 game unbeaten run anything to indicate that Gattuso is the sort of master tactician who can develop a game plan, who can find a way out of a hole like this. I think his success has been built broadly on on two things. First of which is is just simply finding a consistent starting eleven, which is something that Vincenzo Montella singularly failed to do before him. I don't think Milan started the same team in any two consecutive games under Montella this season. So uh, that was a, a big part of it. And then the, the the second part of it was just sort of getting everyone doing their jobs uh, as, as mundane as that sounds. I think at the beginning of the season, you had guys like Leonardo Bonucci, big signing, obviously over the summer, who was trying to do everything, who was trying to uh, play centre back, be the captain of the team and also be the playmaker all the time and, and sort of step forward and, and start attacks and, and just generally do too much. And now that he's got back to just being, uh, yeah, a, a ball playing centre back, but a centre back and, and doing that first and foremost, you've seen his performances have improved, Um uh, a few sort of smart selection decisions on top of that including letting Patrick Cutrone be the, the the regular starter up front because he frankly has just been outperforming the two guys they signed Nikola Kalinic and Andre Silva although having said that with hindsight Cutrone I think was the wrong guy for the the game tonight because there were times in that first half when Milan desperately needed to hold the ball up and that's not really his game he's a get onto the ball in the end, get onto the end of cross in the box mm. kind of striker not a not a Slow the game down and, and look after possession, striker. So, uh, I think Gattuso has made some sort of simple. He's made some 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 real gains through relatively simple steps, um, and I think that there's you know that, that was what Milan needed. But I also think that the jury is still out despite the 13 game unbeaten run on whether he's going to be the manager again next season. Um, I think it was always a let's get to the end of the season appointment and at the moment they're on course to get to the end of the season in much better shape than they were when he took over. But he's not, he's not secure in that job by any stretch and I don't, Personally, think he's a manager with the with the nous um, to to turn around the situation. Uh, I should knock on some words at this point, but to turn around I'm the situation in, in this particular tie. Yeah,
0: I'm doing I'm doing it for you. Uh, but look, it it is uh, it's beautifully set up for Arsenal. It's also set up for Gattuso maybe to show us what what he's made of as a manager. Well, next, I mean,
1: yes. Having said all that, I should remind everyone that I didn't think Arsenal going to win this uh, first leg. So, hey, look, uh,
0: we'll see. I've y- been wrong before. N- none of us know anything. That's the great thing about football. None of us. <laughs> (laughs) know a damn thing but uh, listen it's been great talking to you as ever Paolo thanks a million anytime thank you very much indeed to Paolo uh, always a good man for the Italian football for some reason I can't quite figure out why but you can find him on Twitter he is at Paolo underscore Bandini that is at Paolo underscore Bandini it's the history of the Tottenham it's the history of the Tottenham it's the history of the Tottenham. They miss always
2: something. They they concede many many chances every every game. Many chances every every game. It's the history of the Tottenham.
0: Tottenham. 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 It's the history of the Tottenham. <laughs> If that reference has passed you by, it was, of course, Juventus captain Giorgio Chiellini talking about their win at Wembley in midweek against Tottenham in the Champions League. They were 1-0 down. They came back to win 2-1. And, of course, that's just kind of what they do because it's the history of the Tottenham. It is indeed the history of the Tottenham winning sweet fuck all. And they've done it again. Congratulations to them. It's a week for uh, Italian manager bites. Of course, you've had the Gattuso thing this week.
2: Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit.
0: I think my new ambition in life is to get an interview with Gattuso and just to ask him, like, what's your favorite breakfast? Sometimes maybe Cocoa puffs, sometimes maybe Muesli. If you had to buy a chocolate bar, what would you buy? Sometimes maybe Bounty, sometimes maybe Star Bar. And what about your, you know, your favorite uh, aftershave? Uh, Sometimes maybe Paco Rabanne. Uh, Sometimes maybe Izzy Miyake. It would be amazing. I, I could just do it all day long. Maybe one day we'll make that happen. Right, let's move on, and let's talk about fanzines and football fanzines, something I'm sure many of us are aware of. But the world is changing, and things are changing for the people who produce fanzines as much as they're changing for everybody else. And with me to discuss all that is the editor of The Gooner, Kevin Witcher. Hi, Kevin, how are you?
2: Fine, thank you, Andrew.
0: I want to talk to you a bit about The Gooner. Gooner, obviously, uh, anyone who's gone to a game will know what The Gooner is, but it is a, a fanzine that you can buy outside the ground, packed full of Arsenal content. And, and we'll we'll talk about the specifics of the Gunner now in, in a few minutes' time. But just in terms of uh, perhaps for people who who've never been to a game in England or who've never seen these things on sale, could you explain a little bit about what a fanzine is, where they came from, and where they sort of place themselves in the in the culture of English football?
2: Well, uh, fanzines effectively started uh, with punk rock, and it was a way of people who had no access to Um, being able to express themselves through print media, basically doing it themselves, DIY. Hmm. And that was sort of late 70s. And as time went on, it it started to creep into football. So we had, uh, in the mid-80s, we had general fanzines like uh, When Saturday Comes and Off the Ball. And then uh, people who supported individual clubs started their own. So it was a way of people... Writing about their their football club and getting their opinion out there, and sometimes campaigning about stuff, mm. which I had no real other avenues to do. So it, it's it's a, it's an early form of fan expression. Obviously, we see a great deal of that now, but uh, it was it was the print version of that, and we started the uh, the Gunner in 1987, so we recently celebrated our 30th anniversary.
0: Well, happy birthday to you and all, all you guys and people who've contributed to that down the years. And and you're right, I mean, I think people nowadays have grown up with uh, blogs and, and fan opinion being easily accessible, but also being easy to create. Like you don't have to, I mean, certainly when I started ArsBlog, blog that was over 16 years ago, it was a bit more difficult. Whereas now you could go to any of the blogging sites put in a few clicks, put in a choose a name and up you go and you're ready to go in inside a minute. But when it came to fanzines, obviously um, the technology was different. Uh, the way you had to collate all the information and all the stories was different and get people together. Um, I mean, w- there was, I guess, a sense of community in, in as much as we understand it online now with comment sections and all that kind of thing. But, but bringing people together to to write, about, particularly about a club that they love, you know, fan-specific ones, that must have been really exciting in a way.
2: Yes, I mean, it was a very social thing because the contributors used to actually meet up in the pub to a discuss what we were going to do in the issue but obviously just talk about arsenal as well Mm. so yeah there was a real sense of community and uh i mean the the interesting thing now is because of the way technology's changed um most of my communication is actually done by email with the contributors, but it is always great when I do see them because we have a bond, and uh, it's it's it goes back a long way with some of these guys.
0: So you started in what 1987?
2: Yeah, and in, in just to uh, put the the story straight, uh, the, the founder of the Guna was Mike Francis. Mm-hmm. Um, he was editing it for uh, the first uh, 13 years of his existence. I got involved after about two years and I started getting involved in the sales and distribution and, and writing a bit. And in 2000, basically, Mike was so busy with his day job that uh, he handed over the the editing to me and I've been doing it for the last,
0: um, well, 18 years now. Uh, it's, a, I guess, a labor of love in many ways, you would, you would say, but... Um, like like lots of things, but um, there were others. I mean, the Gooner was not the only Arsenal fanzine out there, was it? Uh, I think um, there was Up the Arse as well. Um, Highbury season. High. 1-0 mm.
2: uh, down, 2-1 up. Yeah. It was, was long running. And uh, Gunflash is a yeah. magazine, which uh, they they now classify themselves as a fanzine, but in fact they started just after World War Two. So... Um, They were actually the forerunners (laughs) of all of us, but uh, it doesn't have quite the same irreverent feel as uh, the the, the fanzines uh, did, certainly, in in their their early early years.
0: And that was, I guess, in many ways, the appeal of fanzines. Certainly, I know that from... Ars blog down the years, what people have enjoyed uh, and connected with is the fact that it can be irreverent. It is the opinion of one guy, and of course, in a fanzine, you've got the opinion of uh, many different guys uh, and girls who are writing for these things. But you do have that freedom of expression that you don't get necessarily in in the bigger platforms or in the mainstream media, for example. That you can do things, you can say things uh, that perhaps sometimes will go beyond the line. But that's that's part of the beauty of it
2: yes i mean the only censorship we do is basically certain words there's one you used to use that begins with c which i think even you stop using now which (laughs) we don't we always asterisk that one i
0: use it a bit more judiciously now that's the
2: (laughs) and obviously things like in the early days to our shame we used to use the y word you know which which was very much part of fan culture but our education process now makes most of us understand that actually that word isn't the right way to go. So we we don't touch that anymore. Um, so, you know, we've become enlightened along the way. But yes, there's still a lot of um, humour. And uh, yeah, I mean, basically, piss taking for want of a better phrase, which uh, has always been a hugely enjoyable part of, of what we
0: do yeah but I mean I think you have to have it as well don't you because um, throughout the 30 year existence of the Gooner, uh there have been ups and downs uh, for Arsenal and I think in, in recent times we've been relatively lucky in terms of what we've achieved as a club but in order to deal with some of the disappointment in order to deal with some of the disheartening results and um, and everything else you do need to remember that there's humor in it that there is uh, there are people out there who will connect with that it's a coping mechanism as much as anything
2: absolutely right and and one of the favorite parts of the fanzine for a lot of people is what we do on the back cover because most yeah. issues will do some kind of spoof and depending on how well arsenal doing sometimes the subject matter is us and sometimes it's other teams, such as Spurs, Chelsea, Man United, etc. So, yeah, um, humour is so critical to the enjoyment of football. Um, I can't imagine a sport without it.
0: Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's hard to find, it's fair to say. Oh, uh, <laughs> there's always gallows humor, Andrew, always gallows humor. Oh, listen, tell me about it. Tell me about it. I'm having to deal in that an awful lot at this moment in time, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But And it's also a, a great way for people, um, in in the same way that blogs are now, for people to perhaps... Uh, start a career or to branch out or to or to get their voice out there fanzines were a way for people to have their writing um, published and also I guess judged is not quite the right word but you know if you had a writer who was popular people would tell you that and it was a good way for them to sort of start building their careers as writers.
2: Well, I mean, the the most obvious example of that is, is someone like Amy Lawrence, yeah. who, who used to write for us, but also more recently, people like Tim Stillman started in the Gooner and have, have grown, and obviously now he's he's writing for your good self, as well as many other uh, places, and someone like a journalist like uh, Leith Yusuf, yeah. who, who regularly writes for, I think, uh, The Mail, Um on the standard online, he he basically started getting his Arsenal work published in the Guna. And as always said, he owes us a debt of gratitude, which, which I'm not so sure about, but it's nice when people say that. So it, it, I think a lot of the time it also depends on the writer's own position because some of these guys have got very good jobs and they don't even need to think about making a living from writing so they just they just do it for the enjoyment and to express themselves without needing to take it any further although some of them are very talented writers and could easily do so
0: Mm. what has been your favorite part of being the editor of the gooner over the how many since 2000 when you when you took it over so so 18 years uh, obviously, your involvement stretches f- back uh, further than that. But, you know, looking back on those 30 years, what, what's what been your one takeaway from it?
2: Well, I mean, writing about the good times is, is great. But, uh, you know, even the bad times, it is a cathartic process just expressing your feelings about things when they haven't gone right. So, you know, I even... The process, for example, of writing about the defeat in Paris in two thousand and six was actually very helpful for me because it, it was it was a depressing evening, but I came to terms with it just through writing about it afterwards um, so I just think you know as a as a sort of um, process for the, the the benefit of my mental health and football can drive you nuts it's it's helped a lot
0: yeah yeah again i know that feeling you know there there is when you have to sit down and think about something in a kind of rational way it does help you come to terms with it um whether it's a good thing or a bad thing uh, i'm not sure but um maybe it's kept me sane as well but like many publications and even something like our blog um which has had to change and metamorphosize over the years, uh, technology has played a part in in what's going on at the Guna right now. And this was supposed to be your last season uh, producing a physical product. But... There has been such a demand for it. I think, in perhaps you could you could liken it to the the uh, reemergence of vinyl, something like that, a, a medium or a platform that many people thought was gone and dead and buried. People still like to have. A physical product in their hands yes you can get it on your phone and you can get it on your tablet or on your computer and everything else but there is something about having a stack of fanzines or a stack of comics or, or records or whatever it might be so you're looking to maybe do something a bit different
2: yes we've got to change the model of, of how we operate if we're going to survive basically um i mean for all our lifetime as it were of the fanzine We've relied on selling um, at match days. But the... ...to what it was when we started out. And um, so effectively what's happened is the people who love it have convinced me that it would... It, I should try and keep it going. And I do enjoy doing it. So I thought, well, okay, let's have a look at it. And we came up with this idea... Of understanding that it's a niche publication, there's a limited number of buyers, but there's got to be enough. So um, we've started a campaign whereby next season, if we get a thousand subscribers who, who can commit in advance for the whole season, we'll publish next season, and we'll go on a, a, on a year by year basis as long as there's interest for it. Um, there will still be a very minimal um sales operation so for example people who go home and especially away will be aware of a guy called alex who's like a legendary seller Mm. and almost part of the reason i'm trying this is because i don't know what he'd do if he didn't have the game (laughs) to sell especially at the away games um but what i will say is that the people who do decide to pick it up on match day if if enough of you don't commit in advance um we just won't be there to buy So for that reason, um, what I'm offering is effectively the thing dropping through your door uh, rather than you needing to to buy it on the match day. And that secures us and makes sure we're viable. And uh, there'll be a few knocking around for people who, who decide not to subscribe, but I wouldn't rely on it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you obviously are having to be pretty exact when it comes to your print runs and your margins and and everything else. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's the way the world is going. But uh, if people want to find out more about this or how they can subscribe, um, I mean, how many how many issues do they get uh, if they I do get, subscribe? They,
2: what they get is they they'll get six issues a season sent to them. And uh, what we what we need to do is um, we need to increase the cover price. Now, it'll go up from £3 to £5. However, we're also increasing the number of pages to 64 pages. Currently, it's 48. So, you know, the way I I look at that is you have to pay more than £30 if you're going to go on Sunday and get the cheapest adult lower seat to watch Arsenal play Watford. Yeah, now, 90 minutes you're going to get for that. Compare that with it receiving six times 64 page issues about Arsenal every season with content that's quite mixed and plenty of nostalgia. And the one thing I do appreciate is that this is going to appeal to people of a certain generation. So, you know, in all honesty, if there's anyone under 35 who wants to subscribe, it's brilliant. But we're really looking at the kind of 35 to sort of oap age group as the people who still like to read magazines that's their preferred format and they relate much better to the nostalgic content um the other thing to mention uh, when people do sort of look up the details of, of what we're doing we will have an offer to send anyone who wants to see an issue this season as as a sample uh They can buy one for 50 pence, and and that's just to cover the postage. We'll send one out to them. It's it's UK only because the the cost of sending anything abroad is quite oppressive. But um, hopefully there's enough Arsenal fans in the UK or ask blog listeners who, who are tempted to at least have a look for 50p, see what it's about, see what it's like. And if, if they like it, they can subscribe as well.
0: All right. Well, look, I wish you uh, the very best of luck with it because it's uh, it sounds like a great project. And uh, I think in this day and age, all of us really need to support uh, small niche publishers. I think we all do that in our own way. And certainly, I've been very grateful for people supporting Arse blog over the last number of weeks as well. So um, the best of luck with it. And people can get all the details on the website, which is onlinegunner.com
2: Exactly right. So if you just visit the, the homepage, there'll be an article there, probably titled "Save the Gooner," and that'll have all the details of uh, contained within. All but, right. So many thanks to you, Andrew, for for just helping out with the campaign and uh, giving us a bit of oxygen.
0: My pleasure. And let's hope the uh, the football gets good between now and the end of the season as well. That might help a bit. I certainly would. Thank you very much. So there you go. Two of my favorite Arsenal writers, Amy and Tim, began their uh, writing careers with the Gooner. And who knows, in the future... What kind of talent might emerge from the pages of that fanzine if it continues, and if it's something that interests you and if it's something that you feel like you want to support, get all the details at onlinegunner.com. Right, there's not a huge amount to say about the game on Sunday because we've just finished the game tonight and it's very difficult to know anything about team news or obviously a couple of injuries. Kolasinac went off, Chambers went off. We'll have to see if anybody else picked up a knock along the way. Fingers crossed they haven't. Of course, we've got Yang available at the weekend as well. There is some revenge required against this uh, this Watford team. Uh, I want us to score lots of goals and I'd like us to dance in a circle around Troy Deeney, giving him the fingers going, na, 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 up yours, you fat cunt. I would like a bit of that. If we can have some of that, just to add to the fun we've already had tonight, that would be a great thing. I think we all need it. We all deserve it after what's happened over the last few weeks. So fingers crossed, that's exactly what we'll get. Have yourselves a great weekend. Remember, there's lots of stuff to listen to in our podcast archives and also on our Patreon page, James and I did the very first ArsBlog Gunnerblog phone-in show. You can subscribe to that for just €5 Euros a month, plus VAT. There's also an Invincible special. There's an interview with Tim Wheeler. I've got lots of cool people coming up uh, to interview for that My Ars podcast. We're going to have more history podcasts, more written content. Uh, you can get all that on the Patreon site, patreon.com forward slash blog And it does help support everything else that we do here and everything that we will do in the future. So look, hope. Hopefully we're on the right track. We're on the upward trajectory now. We've won away from home. It was a good win, a confidence-boosting win. Let's take it from here, see if we can be Watford, and then who knows? The world is our very oyster. Thank you, as ever, for listening. If you'd like to give us a review on iTunes, that would be great. If you don't want to, that's fine as well. I hope you have a great weekend. I hope we smash Watford, and uh, James and I will be here on Monday with an Cast Extra for you as well. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. It's <laughs> time <laughs> <laughs>
2: That was when we